All right. As Sue just mentioned, I don't need to repeat it. Jerry's out, so I'm going to provide the message today. My name is Adam Condit. Um, before we get going, I'll have all the Bridge Kids kids that are going to exit, exit now. This would be a good time. I will pray for our time here in the Word, and then we'll get going. Lord, give us uh, what you have for us today. I pray that you would know the room. You know us each individually, God, including myself. So I pray that you would strengthen us all with your power. I pray that you would uh, move in the room how you see fit and that we would essentially get out of the way. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Colossians 1. And I pray that you would be present here with your Holy Spirit as we look to see what you have to say. Amen. Okay, so a quick introduction to what we're going to be looking at today. Jerry, I don't know if Jerry talks to his doctor about his sermon schedule, but he finished up a whole sermon series in Philippians, and then he conveniently is gone for a couple weeks here with his his uh, surgery. So it, it happened to line up at the end of a, of a, a teaching rhythm there. And what, what he said to me is, you know, just continue to talk through two weeks. We're going to spend on whatever you choose, which is a little overwhelming, right? Because it is helpful to kind of go through God's word um, in a way that just brings us to the word and we see what is there. We're not trying to sharpshoot or, or, or hunt for any anything of our own agenda. We want to open up the Word of God and see what He has for us. So um, it got my wheels turning. We finished up Philippians, and I just turned the page, and what, what we're going to do is spend two weeks in Colossians 1. It's the next book. It's not obviously the same letter. It's not even to the same church, but I think it's helpful for us to go through Colossians 1 for a couple weeks. You could certainly spend probably a couple months there. It's very rich. Um, but by God's grace, I think he's got some, um, some good, a good word for us in there. So we're going to spend most of today looking at verse 3 through 14. If you want to get out Colossians 1, I'm not going to quite get to that slide yet, but you can certainly go ahead on your phone or in your Bible or wherever, and we'll go to that next slide, just kind of the intro slide here. I am continually convinced... As I, as I read through and kind of see, you know, there's, there's these different things that categorize people and their personalities. The Myers-Briggs test has been around for a long while, and you can kind of see what your leanings are with your, you know, one of the, one of the things on there is extrovert or introvert. And there's a couple different categories that you can get tested on and see what kind of person are you, right? And in that particular one, there's 16 types of people based on four categories, and then now, lately, it's really hip and cool to talk about the Enneagram, right? And there's nine different numbers that you can go to, and, and what type are you, and you can kind of see which way God created you. And, and these things are helpful. They can kind of see maybe how you were made a little differently uh, than, than your spouse or than your friends or than your parents or whatever. And it gives us some categories. But then there's even another one called the big five personality traits, and that's really big for some people that they actually, they don't just pick and choose categories, they kind of 
rate themselves. So it's kind of a, a spectrum on these five personality traits. So we're always trying to figure out, like, who are we? How did God make us? How can we change? What's, what's born into our genes, right? What's different about that person compared to me and how I, how I lean on certain things? And I'm more convinced that there's only two types of people on the planet, Two types of people. When you get a new device, whether it's a TV or, or an electronic device or a phone, there's the people that will sit down with the owner's manual and take it from page number one. And they will not touch that device until they are through the owner's manual. And then there's the rest of us that don't even give a rip about the owner's manual. It goes in the garbage and you just try to turn on the TV. You're just, yes, Rudy. <laughs> Poster child over there. Right? Now, I'm kind of kidding on this, but, but it, that tendency is different for two different people. And, and what I want to talk about and what these next two weeks are going to be are, are about first things first. Because I have a story about this. I, I lean differently than some people in my family. I will take the owner's manual and not even give it the time of day. I just want to turn the phone on. I, want, I, I disregard the instruction to, to charge it all the way first and give it more power. I just want to click, 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 and let's go. This is why I bought it, and we're rolling, right? This is how I just kind of lean. But there was one point that humbled me. When I put the TV on the TV stand, small little TV in a different room, and uh, got the remote out, batteries in the remote, click, click, change the batteries in the remote, click. And nowadays, there's so many people like myself and Rudy that don't give a rip about the owner's manual that they come with little quick guides. The three-step way to, to get started if you don't care about the owner's manual. And the quick guide said, number one, plug in TV. Number two, turn on TV. And I didn't plug in the TV. And this is significant. The or for, for turning on things, whether it's power or putting gas in your car, you could have a fully operational car that's ready to go, but if it doesn't have gas in it, first step, put gas in the car. Second step, put the car in drive. Third step, gas pedal. That's an order of operations that's helpful, right? Because you, you could switch any of those around and you're going to get a different result. And what I want us to see in Colossians and what I believe God is showing us through all of Colossians, and especially in Colossians 1 here, is that first things first. First things first. God gives us a picture of what we should put our eyes on before we just jump in to good Christian living. And good Christian living matters. Good Christian living matters. And we see a little bit more of that in, in uh in chapters 3 and 4, but why don't we go to the next slide. Before I get into Colossians 1, this is Colossians at large. There's four chapters, and it's broken up pretty um, simply. Two chapters in the front, talks a little bit more about the theology of God and who God is and, and what Jesus did and who Jesus is and his relationship with his Father and how deep that is and how we probably won't come to a full understanding of all of that within our, life's, within our lifetime here and the breadth and the depth of who Jesus is and what he's done. And even a, even a, 
a warning against some false teachings. So the theology of who God is is important, and, and so we can compare that to some false teaching, the theology of who God isn't. We need to be aware of these things and these realities, the objective truth about God and how he's created us. And in the last two chapters, from that, from that moves into good, practical Christian living, the systems that we live in, right, and the institutions that God has given us in the home and in the church, and there's just really more practical stuff, and it's, and it's really easy to, to pit these two against each other, and we're going to look at what God says about who God is and how do we live, and order matters. I think that Colossians is set up helpfully in the way that Paul is communicating to this church, okay? So, a couple other examples not that we really need them on the, on the smaller stuff. Forget about God, the creator of the universe. Pancakes, you got to take the mix, you got to mix it, you got to pour it, and then cook it. Have you ever taken the mix and then cooked the mix without adding water? Different results. Clothes, put your socks on, then your shoes. Different result. The fact that you're putting your shoes on after your socks helps you use the shoes better right? The socks have a purpose, and that purpose is only there well if it's put in the right order. Underpants are called underpants because they go under your pants. <laughs> okay? That's my last example. We don't call them overpants. That would be a different purpose for those. And that's not just a funny joke. I literally had this buddy of mine. His name is Eric. He doesn't live in this city, so you, none of you know him. His name is Eric, and he was always texting us. It was a really good group of guys that we were kind of always texting. He, he was always giving us little ways that he would try to make his wife laugh. It's like little ways that he can kind of like, you know, support her and, and try to cheer her up on a bad day. And that was his go-to. He would just walk down the stairs, briefcase, ready to go to work, underpants as overpants. He'd just have them over and just try to make her laugh. She would die laughing. It was hilarious. It was kind of this thing that he did. And uh, I gave it a go one day. <laughs> and uh, my wife just looked at me and said, what are you doing? <laughs> like, not, not correct. Order matters. And this is relevant, actually, because as we get to know how do we live with God, how do we live out of God's goodness, we need to know about God. I didn't know my wife in that moment. I didn't investigate and say, Alicia's different than Eric's wife. I need to know more about her to be able to live well in this marriage. I just saw someone do something, and I copied the action. And that's not how we approach Christianity. There is a good investigation, a good study, a good knowledge of who God is, so we even know why do we care about this God that tells us to do things? Is he good? Is Jesus, said, is Jesus who he said he was? This is helpful to study who God is, okay? So let's go ahead and go to uh, this next slide. We're going to get into the text here. I'm going to spend just a little bit in that opening paragraph. Starting in verse 3, it's really easy for us to think of that faith, hope, and love. That's a really good group of um, uh, things in our Christian worldview that we want to keep in the right context here. And, and it's really easy for me even to just go over um, 
paragraphs like this at the beginning of a book, and it says, Thanksgiving and prayer. Paul's kind of being thankful and praying for the body there, and it's not, it's not our church, and so we can kind of skip over it. There's a lot of good stuff here that we can take even from verse 3, 4, and 5, a pretty normal greeting. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. I'm even going to stop there. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Why would you thank God for everything that's going on good in this church? They have good faith. It, it kind of goes on to describe how they're thriving. Their faith is real. They're growing. There's been a church plant, and the, they even list the church planter down in verse 7. And, and th this is a good, healthy church. And the fact that the first verbiage here is we always thank God, that speaks to what's happened first. God has worked, and they've responded. God has worked, and they've responded. And Paul's so, um, Paul's so intentional about thanking God. It guards us even from our, our own arrogance and kind of the, that idea that we would do it ourselves when we're, either, when we're doing something right. I mean, pick... Just pick your right action. Maybe I did serve my wife well. I should be thanking God for even giving me the ability to sense that. Things are going well, we thank God. He has moved first. He gave us our abilities. He gave us the ability to even stand up this morning. We can do nothing without God. God's work comes first and we respond. And so this is helpful for me to kind of check if something goes well, like, like so much has for us in this day and age. We live in America, 2021. For the most part, things are going well. I know there's brokenness in the room. There's brokenness in my life. For the most part, if you just look at human history, things are going well. And it's not because we pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps and did everything ourselves. We thank God for our kids. We thank God for financial stability. We thank God for a church that loves God. Okay, that's number one. Let's look at uh, verses four and five. Since we heard of your faith in, Je in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So they're thanking God, since we heard of your faith, faith is good in Jesus Christ, and of the love that you have for all the saints, for all the other believers, love is good. These are good things. Because of, those are two important words, because of, so they have faith and they have love because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Okay? This is not another subjective, feel-good hope that can be kind of tossed around in our language of our culture if we, if we have hope in something. It kind of feels like a similar word to faith and love, and this is a little bit more subjective. This is what you feel. You feel love for someone. Or you have faith. Like, what does that mean in the Christian worldview? So it's easy to think of faith, hope, and love. What I think God is calling us to here when he says, because of the hope laid up for you, there is an objective truth of our hope. There's an objective reality that something has happened that's good, and because of that, we can rest our faith and our 
love on top of that. Think of a good experience with like a family member, like a, a father figure or a, a parent that's loved you well. There's an objective truth of something that's happened. And because of that flourishes love or flourishes trust and faith in, in future events. So something that has already happened, something that will happen, this is the inheritance, this is the hope that's objective, that is true. And we're, and we're going to spend a lot of today and next week talking about that. So this is not just faith, hope, and love. We're feeling great. Christianity is awesome. Love, faith, rest on top of an objective truth, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Okay? This begs the question, what is this inheritance? What is this hope resting upon? And we're going to get there by the end, but just put that in our minds here. What is the inheritance that Paul is getting at that we can have our faith and love rest on? Okay? Let's look and spend a little bit more time in that second paragraph. The, the first paragraph here, kind of through verse 8, is just describing their faith, their church plant, and uh, being, being encouraged. So let's do this. Next slide gives us verses 9 and 10, and I'm just going to... I'm just going to give you a quick um, heads up. Verse 9 and 10, and then 11 and 12 is just, you come across this sometimes in the Bible, this phrasing. It feels kind of like a run-on sentence. If you actually look, like if you've got your Bibles out, verse 9, there's not a period until the end of verse 10, and then 11 and 12 is kind of the same thing. Like, it just kind of keeps going. So let's take a look at what verse 9, and let's break it up into chunks here. And I'm going to read here verse 9 and 10. And so from the day we heard, we have not yet ceased to pray for you, another prayer, another going to God, not going to people, asking you that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as, two important transition words, so as, what's the point of being in the will of God? What's the point of investigating the knowledge of God's will? So as to walk, action, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit, action, in every good work, action, and increasing in the knowledge of God. This is helpful to put things in the right order. This is helpful. This is like a, a fruit sandwich, if you will. One of my biggest pet peeves, and speaking at church 101 is like the cardinal sin, if I could say it that way, is to never air out your personal pet peeves. Well, Jerry's gone. <laughs> and here's one of my big pet peeves. Let's say you're sitting in a movie theater and there's three people, and like, I'm in one seat, someone else, like my buddy is in another seat, and then my wife is in the other seat. Like, the two ends are the same last name, the same family or whatever. We'd call that a condit sandwich, right? Because you're sandwiched in between the condits. That's so wrong. If you have bread, salami, and bread, you do not call that a bread sandwich. It's a salami sandwich, okay? The most important thing, and what's really getting there is in the middle... This is a fruit sandwich. Even though it talks about the knowledge of his will and the knowledge of God before and after. That is incredibly important. 
It's what holds it together. The bread is important. The bread holds the sandwich together, but we don't call it a bread sandwich. So you can't look at, at verses like this and say the only thing that's important is the fruit and the work, which is in the middle. Knowledge of God to start leads to walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. Leads to bearing fruit in every good work, doing things. And, and I am so struck at the very last, what is it, seven words. It would be easy for me to think of this as, what comes first, the knowledge of God's will and investigating who God is and growing in our theology and knowing the depth of who God is, the creator of the universe that we will never wrap our human brain around. There's always work to do here. And to say that leads towards a better Christian life. And I think that's what Colossians at the whole is doing. Chapters 1, 2, 3, 4. But there's this cycle happening. What's up with this last part of verse 10? Verse 9 says that, we sh that they're praying not for us to do things better. They're not praying for us to read our Bibles more. That might happen. They're not just praying for us to pray at a certain time every day. That might happen. They're praying for us to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This is the primary prayer. So as, and what will happen from that, so as downstream of loving God well and knowing even who he is, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to be fully pleasing to him, to bear fruit in every good work, and then here's the kicker, and increasing in the knowledge of God. It goes back, and it's this cycle. It's this feedback loop. And this is helpful for me because I, I'm the kind of person that wants to do, well, not with the TV. I'm the kind of person that will take instructions and just care about the instructions, and, and I'm happy with to-do lists. So when it says to be filled with the knowledge of his will, and then you'll and then downstream and out of the affection of who God is, you will live a Christian life worthy of the calling. If it just feels like that's it, that gives me a tendency to prolong and uh, wait to act. Because I might, I might feel like I need to get this knowledge of his will thing down before I love my neighbors well. Because I'm always like hypersensitive to if I know enough about God. And that's not helpful. I might think I need to grow to a certain maturity level before I, before I tell other people about God. And I might even delay these good works. And that's not helpful. What this is showing us is that the knowledge of God even comes from doing good works. That's a primary way that God even grows our knowledge of him is to experience good works along with, in, along with prayer and Bible reading and being in community and, and a hundred other ways. But even doing the work of God gives us a knowledge of God. So there's no delay. We're all at a place where we are inferior and, and, uh, and below the full knowledge of God. Amen? I feel it right now. We're all, none of us have arrived. And we're all called to walk and bear fruit and do good work, which will increase our knowledge of God. I am so encouraged by this cycle 
that God promises. Okay, so first things first, don't just do stuff. There is a warning there, though. Don't just do stuff without knowing why God is good. We can have church culture that says, you just do this because that's what the church has always done. Why? We should never be in a system that just tells us what to do. We We should be critically thinking. We should be respectful when we question things. But we certainly should never just take instructions and not ask the question why. We might not even know the full why of why God tells us to do certain things in his commands. It's not crystal clear all the time. But there is a knowledge of his will that is helpful that can prompt our good work. Okay? So I've already touched on that, those two important words in very beginning of, of verse 10. So as... The knowledge of his will, so as you will walk in a manner. This, in my humble opinion, and I think it's biblical, shatters that paradigm or that false dichotomy of being heavenly minded or earthly good. You're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Not biblical. In my my reading of this. Show me the Christians in America that are not earthly good because they're spending too much time praying, reading their Bibles. Is that our primary, is that our primary roadblock in America right now? Not enough time in the Word. Not enough time in community. Not enough time in prayer. When are you at your best with your spouse, with your family, with your neighbors, with your workplace, with your anger, with your frustration, with your idols. I'm at my absolute worst when I am void of time in the word, time with God, knowledge of his will. I see a direct correlation of studying who God is, realizing who I am, seeing what he's done, and fruit, and a moving towards what he has for us. I, I think that our primary concern in America is we're worldly-minded. We're afraid of the culture as far as what, or, or we're just swept up in the culture. Like, are you a better, are you bearing more fruit or less fruit in your family when there's more Netflix or more Bible reading? That stings my Conviction, I'm there with you. I don't think we can pit heavenly mindedness and earthly goodness against each other. False dichotomy. They are not at a tug of war. Colossians 1 says the knowledge of his will and knowing who God is and how he saved us and knowing what our role is in his story prompts us to act and prompting us to act increases the, the knowledge of God. They go hand in hand and they are working together. Okay, so that's verse 9 and 10. Nice run-on sentence. There's a lot there. Let's continue to study it for the next week or year or lifetime. Let's go to the next slide. We're going to look at the next couple verses. Verses 11 and 12. Because now I just got all uh, self-conscious and and, uh, convicted that I'm watching too much Netflix and that I'm not studying the knowledge of his will 
and that it's so much easier to check off a box that says read the Bible for 15 minutes a day rather than love God. These checklists are so appealing to me because then I know when my work is done. Okay? Verse 11 and 12 provides help. How do we put our eyes on God and see him as beautiful? How do we even get into this mindset of, I want to grow in who I know God is and so I, can be a, and so I can be a better witness to other people and so we can carry out his mission and then I will know even more about who God is. How do I even do that? There is help. There's his power is enabling us to do this. So let's read verse 11 and 12. Okay. May you be strengthened with all power according to your Bible reading plan. Whoops. May you be strengthened with all power according to the church you grew up in when you were five. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience. These two, these two words. With joy. giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you, qualified you, past, it's done. He has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. This is meaty. This is deep. This is just (laughs) Paul's almost like introduction. Let's take this apart. Verse 11, he is providing power. He is providing strength. The TV is important if you want to use it for good, right? The TV, you bought it, it needs power. If you open up the TV box and you put the TV on the table, and then unlike me, you start searching for the power cord and where it's going to go in and where that, where that plug is, someone might walk in the room and go, oh, so you don't care about the screen? You're just caring about this power cord? Oh, so you're not going to use the TV? I use the remote and watch the front of the screen. You're, you're dinking around in the back with this cord. No. Providing power and going to the power source, which is God in his glorious might, serves the purpose of the TV, serves the purpose of our fruit, of our works, of our joy. These are not at ends with one another. And this, this is kind of a good charge. Like, we are in this time right now between God, between Jesus' death and resurrection and then his second coming. Some folks have said it like, we're in the already but not yet. This is a difficult time. There is an inheritance that he has qualified for us. Verse 12 is past tense. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance. But we are not perfectly redeemed. We still have a sin nature. We still have a flesh that we're battling against. Okay, so when it says for all endurance and patience. That's kind of like in this time now to do good works and to to live a good Christian life as we're going to see a lot more of in chapters 3 and 4, but it's kind of pointing forward. As we enter into this Christian life that's life-giving, we know that it comes from knowing God well first, but as you do that, you need endurance and patience. You can't do it by yourself. And God is giving you power according to his glorious might. For all endurance and patience. So we can just die and go to heaven. No. For all endurance and patience. 
with joy. There is a particular joy in this life right now that we can experience by living well. By living well. Now, I'm going to read verse 12 again. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share. So this speaks to the inheritance and the qualification and how God calls his people is a done deal. When Jesus said it is finished on the cross, this is the qualification, Jesus' blood and resurrection. It, there has been a qualification who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. Now, you read the commentaries on this, and you see the, kind of the cross-reference. We could kind of look at that inheritance as future, like when the kingdom of God has finally been revealed after Jesus' second coming. And, and I can certainly read this verse in that light, and I don't think it would be wrong. I think it's also, it's also being, being spoken of in this current inheritance, in this current life right now. He has qualified us past, Jesus' work done, to share in the inheritance present right now. We have hope. We have an objective reality that we can be with joy. The inheritance of the saints in the light. So this is speaking to our current life and the inheritance that God has given us. Okay? What is this inheritance? We keep talking about it. We keep saying that our hope we keep, t we keep saying that our hope is in this inheritance that Jesus has purchased. Let's speak more about this inheritance. Do I even want it? I mean, it seems like a, a word that we would want, an inheritance we normally think of like getting money when someone dies. But you're given something. You're not working for it. You're given. You're given over an inheritance. It seems right. But what if that inheritance is something you don't want? What, I mean, like, what is this inheritance? What is this? And we're going to finish here. Why don't we go to the last slide? Verse 13 and 14 is crystal clear. I didn't bold any words up here because it's all just so succinct and so important to take a look at it all. I'm not emphasizing one word, kind of how it changes over. I just want to read this. This is our inheritance. This is our inheritance. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And I read this and I struggle with realizing the, the awe that we should all fall over with. <laughs> this isn't saying that Jesus gives us a better life financially or that he gives us a better life with healthy kids or that he gives us a good job or that he, he sets us up for decent retirement like the, the, the culture in America is just continuing to tell us through a hundred different media outlets, through a hundred different Facebook posts, through whatever. It, this has nothing to do with that. This is our inheritance that's eternal forever, regardless of what happens in our 60 to 80 to 100 years here on earth or less. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Thank you. What better news is there? in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the gospel. This is our hope. He has delivered us, past tense. 
Again, we're, we're kind of in between Jesus' final work on the cross of salvation, and now we're, we're experiencing this world here still with fallenness, still with sin, still with this condition in which we need to be sanctified fully. We are not fully sanctified. So there's a struggle. We need endurance. We need patience. We need God's help. We need his power. But his work is done. He has delivered us. This is news. This is not a checklist. This is not a direction for us to do. This is not something that we should do every morning. This is not a directive. This is the gospel. This is a news story of what Jesus has done. This is amazing. This is Jesus' work, and Jesus' work is our hope. Okay, we're going to start to wind down here, but I need to pose another question because I'm putting so much emphasis on Jesus' work who is Jesus? Why do I care about Jesus' work if I don't know who Jesus is? We need to, and Paul's praying for this church, and I believe we should be praying for our church to be filled with the knowledge of his will. We need to be theologically rich to know everything that God has for us in this life and beyond. And what Colossians 1 does after these verses is it answers the question, who is Jesus? And we'll pick up there next week. It's overwhelming. It's probably one of the deepest, thickest six sentences you could come up with in the Bible. Colossians 1, verse 15, we're going to start in next week. So read ahead. Read ahead. I am so weak in this area. I believe that God gives us, um, he, he gives us a knowledge of his will through prayer, through Bible reading, through messages, through community, through each other, through the church, yes. So come next week, be excited about who Jesus is as I try to just sprinkle in a couple things because we, we could take six weeks to go over the next six sentences and we're not going to do that. There's going to be a couple things we pull from, but we're going to continue to be the Bridge Church local here in Eau Claire to unravel this over the next week, year, 10 years, lifetime, okay? Let me pray, and then we're going to respond. Lord, thank you for giving us your word. Your word is a revelation of who you are. I thank you that in this country we do have access to your word, that we won't be arrested for reading your word. I, I thank you for giving us your son. I thank you for giving us the revelation of who you are in these different ways. I pray for this church and I pray for myself that we would see you as glorious just like someone that we love, that we live with, that we would want to know you deeper and know you better to, to serve you truer. I pray for that Christian living that's described in chapters three and four that we probably won't get to. I pray that we would read ahead this week, read all of Colossians. I pray that we would have a framework of who you are and what we do. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this particular time in which we can respond to your word. 
I pray that anything that I said tonight or this morning would just be um, completely forgotten about if it's not from you. I pray that the only thing that goes to the heart, that goes to the ears, would be uh, your message, God. So we trust you. We love you. Amen.